Lots of people in this world who, while enjoying so many of the amazing gifts from God, they overlook, they minimise, they ignore, or they ridicule all the things that God has done for them. They receive these gifts. They enjoy His creation. They live out the life that God has given to them, but they fail to honour Him or thank Him for all that He has done for them. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 1. He says that although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. But I think if we're honest, then we need to admit that it's not just other people that do that. Sometimes I think, if we're really honest this morning, we would need to admit that we too can fall into that trap. We can overlook what God has done for us. We can minimise His gifts. We can ignore the miracle of His grace. And we can just take all the things that God has done for us, we can just take it all for granted. And so in his letter, Peter continued from that amazing introduction that we looked at last week, he continued to encourage us to recognise and to value and to praise God for the miracle of salvation. To really celebrate our new life in Christ. So we're going to read from 1 Peter chapter 3, sorry, chapter 1, verse 3, down to, to verse 7 uh, this morning. So 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3 says this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. Kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Last week, we were learning about how those who have trusted in Jesus are both saints and strangers. We are God's holy people, but we're also God's holy people living in a hostile and antagonistic world. And in this section, Peter introduced one of the the implications, one of the consequences of this in terms of the trials that this brings into our lives. But that doesn't mean that our lives are supposed to be kind of one of stoic endurance. 
just like kind of gritting our teeth and bearing it and getting through as a, as, a, as a Christian in this world. Instead, our lives should be filled with songs of praise and joy. Later on in this letter, Peter will remind us of who we are. He says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. You are a royal priesthood. As believers, we become a kingdom of priests. Called to declare the praises of the one who transformed our lives. But here, Peter demonstrates that for us. He kind of is an example to us in this. Because he writes in verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He knew that God has worked so wonderfully that the only proper response is one of gratitude and praise and love and worship. And Peter in this section goes on to explain and to celebrate some of the reasons why we should be praising God. Some of the things that we've got to praise God for. And we're just going to look down through them this morning. First of all, Peter wants us to praise God because in his great mercy he has given us new birth. Now this week we're obviously celebrating a new birth, aren't we? New birth of Caleb to Evelyn and Bran. We're rejoicing at this brand new beginning. This precious new life. But for those of us who have trusted in Jesus... We've also received another new beginning. A new precious life in Jesus, in Christ. And this new beginning is absolutely essential if we are going to be part of God's family. Each and every one of us have to experience this new beginning. One night a guy called Nicodemus came to see Jesus. He was a religious leader, a Bible teacher, an all-round kind of good guy. But he'd been convinced that Jesus had come from God because he'd seen some of the amazing miracles that Jesus had performed. But that night Jesus said something that just blew Nicodemus' mind. This is what he said in John chapter 3 verse 3. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Now initially, Nicodemus didn't understand a thing that what Jesus was speaking about here. Nicodemus was thinking about the, just the physical impossibility of being born from his mum again. It just didn't make sense to him. But Jesus went on to explain that this... He, was talking about something, he wasn't talking about something physical here. Instead, he was saying that for us to be saved, for us to be brought into God's kingdom, we need a completely new beginning. We need a new beginning with a new standing before God and a new nature and a new heart. And it's like a, the start of a brand new life. It's just like being born all over again. Just as our physical birth is essential for bringing us into our natural family, so our spiritual birth 
is essential to bring us into God's family. But of course the question is, how do we experience that new birth? How do we get that brand new start? Well, Peter says that we should praise God because in his great mercy he has given us new birth. This spiritual birth doesn't come as something that we've earned or deserved. It's not something that we can work for or be good enough to gain or to merit. There aren't any religious practices or ceremonies that we can undertake to achieve it. Instead, we can only receive it as a gracious and undeserved gift of God's mercy. That night, Jesus went on to say to Nicodemus that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So tonight, today, if you haven't yet received this new birth, then you can receive it today. Simply through believing in Jesus. Putting your trust in him as the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life. This is the gift that God wants to give you. This is the gift that Jesus paid for with his life. But if we have trusted in Jesus, if we are among those people who have experienced this amazing gift, then we should praise God that he loved us so much that he sent his one and only son to the cross so that we could be born again into God's family. That's something that we should be always thanking God for. So first of all, we should be thanking God. We should be praising God for our new birth. Secondly, we should praise God for our new hope. He has given us new birth into a living hope. Now this hope is not wishful thinking. It's not just saying like, I hope it's going to be a nice day today. That's just a wishful thinking kind of hope. It's not just a desire. It's not just a longing for something better in our lives. The Christian hope is a guarantee of a glorious future. It is a living and confident and certain expectation of the blessing that is to come. This is what Hebrews 6 verse 19 says. He says, we have, a, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul. Firm and secure. This isn't an airy-fairy kind of wishful thinking thing. This is something that's firm. This is something that's secure. This is like an anchor in our lives. Rock solid. That's because our hope is not based on an abstract set of beliefs that we just have to accept. It's not just something we need to just accept and that's it. Instead, this hope is based on the person and the finished work of Jesus. It's grounded in his perfect life. It's based on his sacrificial death for us on the cross. And it's secured by his victorious resurrection from the grave. 
This is what Peter says, 1 Peter 3, 1 and 3. We've been born into this hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Our hope, our hope of the future, our future glory, is established by the empty tomb of Jesus. Now Peter, he experienced the difference that that makes. Because he had experienced that complete devastation of Good Friday. When all of his hopes and dreams had died with Jesus on the cross. He thought that it was all over on that day. But then on Easter Sunday, Mary Magdalene came with the the news that they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. She'd gone to the tomb, found an empty tomb and was really, really upset because of that. And so she rushed to Peter and John and told them about it. And when they heard this, they ran as fast as they could to that tomb. And when Peter got there, he went right in and it says in John chapter 20 that he saw the strips of linen lying there. As well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head, the cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. What Peter and John saw that day was just as if Jesus had got up and walked out of his grave clothes. And walked out of the tomb. And this reality was confirmed when Jesus later on appeared to Peter. And then to the other disciples in the the locked room. Then again a week later. Then when he cooked breakfast for them on a beach. And then on numerous other occasions over a period of 40 days. And so a little while later, Peter could stand up on the day of Pentecost and say this. God has raised this Jesus to life. And we are all witnesses of the fact. This wasn't a hope so. This wasn't a pie in the sky dream. This wasn't some kind of trick or fantasy. This was a reality. That Peter and the other apostles could witness to the fact of it. Because they'd experienced it for themselves. They'd seen it for themselves. And it was this reality that changed Peter's life from overwhelming despair into a living and certain hope. And it's this reality that confirms the identity of Jesus. Jesus is proved to be the Son of God by the resurrection from the dead. It also proves the sufficiency of the sacrifice. It proves that when Jesus died on the cross, He truly did pay for all of our sins in full. And it proves the certainty of our salvation. Because Jesus is alive today. Then we can be sure that we have eternal life. And that one day we will be raised and be with Him forever in heaven. So we have this new birth. We have this wonderful new hope. And with this new hope, we have a new inheritance. Inheritance is all that we have to look forward to as God's people. In the Old Testament, the inheritance that it often refers to is the fact that God gave the land of Israel, the land of Canaan, to the people of Israel as their inheritance. 
And as they wandered in the desert, this hope, this, this promise of this land would sustain them and encourage them. Yes, they were living like nomads just now, but they had this inheritance that was to come and they would receive the land that God had promised to them. And when they entered into it and, and rejoiced in the fact that God had given it to them, this was their inheritance from God. But as followers of Jesus, we have a much, much, much better inheritance than theirs. Peter says, first of all, it's indestructible. Because of Israel's sin, because of their disobedience to God, this land that was their inheritance was often ravaged and destroyed by their enemies. It was often defiled and spoiled by their idolatry and their immorality. It would experience drought and decline because of God's judgment on their sin. But our inheritance, the inheritance that God has given to us, is one that can never perish, spoil or fade. It's an eternal inheritance that will never be destroyed, that will never decay, that will never diminish. That's because our inheritance is in heaven, Peter says in verse 4. The nation of Israel's, their inheritance was physical, it was earthly. And investments and inheritances on earth are always susceptible to loss. You ever listen to one of these adverts about investment uh, products? Ever hear at the end what they have to say? And you usually try and say it really, really quickly so you don't notice. Warning. The value of your investment may go up and also down. If you invest in this product, you may lose some or all of the money that you invest. Investments in earth are not secure. Not nothing. Doesn't matter what you've invested in, it's not secure. But ours is in a, as a heavenly investment. And that's far better because it's totally secure. Jesus said, heaven is where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Nobody can steal this from us. It won't just uh, decay. It won't just dry up. Because our inheritance is kept for you. It's kept for you. We don't need to keep it. We don't need to maintain it. We don't need to secure it. Instead, it's kept for you by God. He is guarding it. He is keeping it. He is going to ensure that everything that He has planned for you, you will experience. And all of this is because of the finished work of Jesus. It's because through our faith in Jesus, through his death on the cross, we've become children of God. And if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God. And co-heirs with Christ. But you know, it's not just our inheritance that's secure. It's also that we are kept secure. We are those, verse 5, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed 
in the last time. As strangers in the world that we're thinking about last week, we're living in the enemy territory. Each day, whether we realise it or not, we are in a spiritual battle. But if we put our faith in Jesus, we do not need to live with fear and uncertainty every day. We don't need to to fear losing our faith, losing our salvation, losing our position with God. Because God is keeping us safe. Psalm 18 verse 2, a wonderful verse says this, The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge. He is my shield. He is the horn of my salvation. My stronghold. Can you get the idea of that? We are secure if we're in God. Completely, totally. He's around us. He's underneath us. He's over us. He's everywhere. So we can rest secure in Him. And that means that our security is not based on us holding on to God. It's not that we just need to hold on to our faith as much as we can desperately because we're afraid of letting go and being lost. But instead it's grounded in the truth that God is holding on to us. Some of my favourite verses, some of you will know this, in John chapter 10. 28 and 29 says this, I give them eternal life. This is Jesus speaking. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. If we have put our faith in Jesus, then we are doubly secure. Held by Christ. Held by our Father. And no one and nothing can separate us from Him. What an amazing security that we can have in this world. And the result of this is a new kind of joy. Peter knew that these Christians had been suffering because of their faith. He says in verse 6, Now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Now we'll see later in this letter how they've been criticised and ridiculed and attacked and even beaten just because of their faith in Jesus. They were getting persecuted as believers. This was a really, really tough time for them as Christians. But Peter also knew that just life brings a whole heap of problems into our lives. That's why he says grief in all kinds of trials. He's not trying to just talk about one kind of trial. And, oh, this doesn't apply if you're facing other kinds of trials. This applies to all of the different trials that life brings to us. Ill health, bereavement, financial problems, conflict, injustice. The list just goes on and on of the trials that we might face. But even in the middle of all of these painful trials, Peter still encouraged them to praise God, their God and Father. He still said, you greatly rejoice. That wasn't because they were enjoying these difficulties or because they were immune to pain as if, oh no, these things don't affect me. 
Peter didn't minimize or diminish their sufferings. He knew that trials bring real grief, real pain, and real suffering into people's lives. He knows that it's not wrong to express that grief, to express that pain. After all, Peter had been there when Jesus wept at the grave of his friend Lazarus. And he'd only been a stone's throw away from Jesus when in the Garden of Gethsemane he was just so filled with anguish that his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. So suffering is real. And expressing it, the emotional pain of that, that's not wrong. So please don't, don't think that Peter's telling us to suppress all of that or try to pretend that these things aren't real. He's not. But rather he's saying even when we're suffering, even when we're grieving, we can still rejoice. Paul wrote in verse 6, In this you greatly rejoice. Big question then is, what is in this referring to? What can we rejoice in? Well, that's all that Peter has just talked about. We can rejoice in our new birth. We can rejoice in our sure and certain hope. We can rejoice in our guaranteed inheritance. We can rejoice in our complete security in God's hands. Why? Why can we still rejoice in all of these things even when we're going through incredibly difficult times in our lives? Well, it's because that no matter what we're going through, no matter what we're facing, Those trials are powerless. They are powerless to destroy our new life in Christ. Whatever we're facing in life, it cannot undo our new life in Christ. Whatever we're facing in life, it cannot defeat our living hope. It cannot destroy or defile or diminish our eternal inheritance. It cannot remove us from our secure position in Christ. So we can rejoice in the Lord, all of us. Not because those things are easy or comfortable. Certainly not because we'll always feel like rejoicing. But because even even with the worst that this world can offer and throw at us, Nothing can take away the amazing blessing that we have because we are God's holy people. Suffering is real, but suffering is powerless. And if I had written these words, you might say, well, okay, Andrew, you don't really know what suffering is like. But this is Peter who writes these words. And if you read the book of Acts, you'll understand he experienced this suffering. He knew what it was like. He didn't live in some kind of ivory tower out uh, in some nice safe place cut off from all of this, this, this difficulty and this suffering. He experienced it for himself. And he knew that what he had in Christ was worth celebrating no matter what he was going through in his life. But suffering is not only powerless to destroy our joy. Suffering can actually increase it. This is the way that God turns things upside down. Not because 
God is the source of those, of those sufferings, but rather because He will use the suffering for our good and for His glory. Peter reminded us that gold is refined by fire. Get some gold, you heat it in a crucible. That is not to destroy the gold. Rather, it's to melt it down so you can burn off the impurities or you can remove them chemically. The goal is to produce something that's purer, something that's more valuable. And in a similar way, God allows trials into our lives. He allows the heat to be turned up in our lives. Not to destroy our faith, but instead to purify our commitment to God. To strengthen our trust in Him. To deepen our understanding of Him. It's in those trials, those tough times, that our faith really grows. As Paul wrote in Romans chapter 5, he says, We also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that our suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. Those tough times deepens our faith in God. If you've met somebody who's got a real deep faith in Christ, usually that's because they've gone through some really, really tough times. And they've had to draw close to God in those tough times. They've had to depend on God. And because of that, it deepens their understanding that God is someone they can trust in. And this is a worthwhile process to go through. Because faith, verse 7, is of greater worth than gold. Faith is much more valuable than any other riches you can have in this world. It lasts longer. It brings greater blessing into our lives. Do you know what I was thinking when I read that? I was thinking how the prosperity gospel, they tell the lie that faith in God is so great because it means that you're going to get lots of money. Peter's saying, faith in God is so great because it's so much more valuable than money. Faith in God is the most precious thing that we can have. But these trials, they don't only refine and strengthen our faith, they also reveal the reality of it. They come so our faith may be proved genuine. They test our faith, not to destroy it, but to reveal the reality of it. It's relatively easy, isn't it? To express our faith in church. Relatively easy. Because everybody else around us is encouraging us. Nobody's going to challenge you for that. Nobody's going to ridicule you for that. Nobody's going to beat you up for that. I hope not anyway. But when we go home today, or when we go to work tomorrow, or when we go to school or college, or wherever we go through the week, that's where faith is tested. That's where it's tough to live as a Christian. And if we stand for Jesus in those situations, if we take a stand and say, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus, in those times, when it's really cost us, when it's really tough to be a follower of Jesus, it's there that we demonstrate the reality, the genuineness of our faith. That is the real revelation of the the genuineness of our faith. 
And what is the consequence of that? What is the consequence of that refining process and that revelation? Well, verse 7. It results in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. One day Jesus is coming back. As we're saying about this morning, he's coming back for us who have trusted in him. And when Jesus returns, our faith, our perseverance, our faithfulness will result in praise and glory and honour for him. Why? Well, because the gift of faith comes from him. And the ability to persevere in faith comes from him. And the focus of our faith comes from him. And the strength comes from him. And the grace comes from him. So all that we can do in our lives for for him, it doesn't result in our praise, in our glory, in our honour, but it goes to the one who loved us and gave himself for us. So let's not be those people who overlook or who minimise or who forget what God has done in our lives. Ah, pray that we would never take what Jesus has done for us for granted. But instead, let's be among the people who will praise God, our God and Father, because we have a new birth into a living hope with a guaranteed inheritance with complete security in God's hands and an indestructible 